0: Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, so hey, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis we are going to start in chapter 25 uh, Genesis chapter 25 and as we start in Genesis chapter 25 we are going to answer the question tonight why in the world does Jacob and Esau matter Um, and uh, in the midst of that um, there's a lot going on here in this story and part of the reason there's a lot going on here in this story is because I uh, for some reason agreed to cover Jacob and Esau Chase Culpepper not thinking about the fact that Jacob and Esau covers chapter 25 of Genesis, chapter 27 of Genesis, chapter 28 of Genesis, as well as chapter 33 of Genesis. And so um, that's why I said 10,000-foot view tonight, all right? Uh, but uh, what I want you to understand about Jacob and Esau is that um, it's a really good reminder to us that God uses imperfect people. It really is. It is it's a tremendous reminder that God uses imperfect people. It's also a tremendous reminder to us that and I don't want to steal too much thunder from, from my last point, but it's a tremendous tremendous reminder to us that God has an ultimate plan in this world. Thank you. That's awesome. I can see people's faces now. God has an ultimate plan in this world. Like you know, and, and the reality is, is that um, God also has a plan for us in our life. And what we see in this story in a lot of ways is some imperfect people that in their brokenness did everything they could possibly do to mess up what God was trying to do in this world to bring about the Savior. Okay? And yet, what we see is that God is still on His throne and that God is still in control. And so, what I want us to do tonight is to look at this and start at the place of where Rebecca is actually pregnant with these guys and to get a glimpse of what God's plan was. What God's plan was in their life from the beginning. What God's plan ultimately was for us Through salvation that we see as we track down the lineage of of Jesus uh, and and see where that when you act like an idiot because that's what these guys did honestly what happens is is you can create some chaos that's ultimately not going to thwart God's ultimate plan for salvation but can really create some crazy situations in the world and in your life individually does that make sense All right, and so I want us to see that tonight. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and start here in Genesis chapter 25, uh, beginning in verse 19. Genesis 25, verse 19. Now, I want to remind you as we jump into this. Remember the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Y'all remember that? And remember how we talked about how this unbelievable unbelievable story of her faith in in what god was going to do and it was this unbelievable story of this marriage that just came together in this ultimate plan that god had for isaac and for rebecca right and we talked about how that god had a plan but yet she still had the ability to make that choice to go and she did and so forth and so everything starts really really good for them would we all agree with that i mean everything starts really good for them And then we see that here she is, and she's pregnant. And so we we find ourselves in verse 19, and then we'll jump over and begin to talk about what else takes place and how that things weren't so good later on. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. It's amazing. So many of the people, when you begin to track the lineage of Jesus, were in relationships, husband and wife, in which the wife was barren, and lo and behold, guess what? God answers, because God was going to do what God was going to do in bringing about Jesus. But the children struggled together within her, in verse 22, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two people will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. So we got a hairy, red-headed guy. You got it? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Um, Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them when the boys grew up Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the field but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents so in other words here's the point Esau likes to hunt right Esau likes to cook right so Esau's a good old boy I thought about entitling this sermon uh why does Jacob and Esau matter because it shares with us the dangers of simply being a good old boy because that's really what Esau is Right, he's this big hairy dude, red-headed guy. He likes to go out in the field, kill things, bring it out, cook it, and give it to his family. That's what he likes to do. That's not enough, by the way, to follow Jesus. Good old boys don't make it to heaven. Good old boys don't wear a crown. There's an old song that says that. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he, saw, or he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way thus Esau despised his birthright let's stop there and pray Lord thank you for your word tonight help us to see Lord how in the world this applies to our life help us to see Lord how you were moving in the midst of all this despite the fact that we got really some messed up individuals here and so, Lord, we ask you just as we look at your word tonight that ultimately, Lord, that if the conviction needs to happen in our life, that'll happen. Uh, Lord, uh, that you'll draw us closer to you through your word tonight. You, you promise us that if we'll just listen. And, and Lord, we just ask you, Lord, that ultimately that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that even through this story tonight, they'll recognize that you had a plan for salvation for the world, which means that you have a plan for salvation for them. And Lord, I ask you that they'll respond tonight. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray amen all right so what in the world does Jacob and Esau tell us why does it matter first thing throw it up there on the screen for me real quick like click is it there yes because it warns us of a man with no vision it warns us of a man with no vision. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that where there is no vision, the people perish. Another way that that's translated is where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Because what a vision does is it's, when you think about it in the terms of even what the, 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 uh, the writer of Proverbs is telling us, when you think about it in the terms of looking at Esau, what a vision does is it helps us to keep our eyes on God. It helps us to keep our eyes on His plan. Does that make sense? Right? And when you do that, it's like driving with lines on the side of the road. Now, I grew up originally in South Alabama, then we moved to Columbus, Georgia. And in Georgia, uh, in Columbus in particular, because it's a city, uh, if you're on a two-lane, there's those little white lines on the side of the road. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? And so my mom, when I was learning to drive, would tell me, she would say, hey, Tommy, here's the deal. If a car is coming at you, don't stare at the car, because if you stare at the car, you're going to start easing over toward the car just naturally that's what's going to happen especially when you begin to learn to drive and so one thing that you can do is sort of when a car's coming at you especially at night the lights are shining your eyes sort of look to that line on the right side of the road and it'll keep you straight if you start to veer you'll just sort of veer to that right line you know and in a lot of roads then you'll hit it and go and then you know to get over right but that's better than hitting somebody head on well here was the problem I turned 16 years old by this point my dad was pastoring back in Alabama in Phoenix City we were living in Columbus driving over every Sunday and Wednesday to do church it's not like it was really that far it was like seven minutes from our house Uh, but anyways uh, I was uh, driving on a Wednesday night first time after I turned 16 to church I got to church and the sun was out when I left church the sun was not out anymore and I drove home and guess what I realized in Phoenix City Alabama I realize that Alabama is ten years behind everybody else when it comes to the state. That's actually probably true. Uh, my dad's done ministry in both states for a really long time, and one of the ways that I learned that is because they don't have those white lines on the side of all their two-lane roads, even in a city. Now I don't know why that's the case. Maybe it's the county. Maybe it's the state. I don't know what kind of road I was driving on. But what I do know is, is that I got home and I said, "Mom." I don't like driving in Alabama and she said why and I said because I was on a two-lane road car started to come toward me I started to look to the side to make sure I didn't veer into it because again I'd been driving for like two weeks at this point and I said there was no white line to guide me it's what a vision does for us a vision guides us does that make sense now here's the deal the deal is, is that we know that God already had a plan. Because when these guys were in the womb, they were clearly fighting in the womb, apparently. And so, uh, Rebecca calls out to God and's like, why is my pregnancy difficult? And God tells her, you got two nations in your womb. One's going to be stronger than the other, right? That's what he says. And so, ultimately, we know that God has a plan uh, in this, that Jacob is going to be the one um, that's going to be blessed. Jacob's going to be the one that's going to have the stronger nation. And so what we though find out is easy. I'll be honest with you. It's easy to just wrap up that story in that and be like, boom, God's sovereignty. Amen. Nothing else to think about. This was God's plan all along. And we can see how God uses an idiot and a little less of an idiot to bring about his plan. That's where we can stop. That's what we can do. It's a little dangerous place to stop. Because there's a lot of other things we can learn from this story. For example... When you turn, and I'll tell you why you know you can learn this from the story. Because when you turn to Hebrews, all right, y'all ready for this? We're going to turn over to Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll begin reading verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So here's the point. The point is is that when you begin to look at the life of Esau, what you see is a guy that had no vision. And as a result of that, became very short-sighted. He, he wanted to enjoy the now. He loved to hunt. He loved to cook. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you have Jacob, who is compared with, who lives in a tent. Why? But when you live in a tent, what can you do? What do you do when you live in a tent? When God tells you to move, what do you do? You pack up the tent and you move. Does that make sense? Right? And so you have Jacob that's a man of peace. You have Esau that's ultimately, uh, 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 he likes to kill stuff. Right? And so Jacob really, really, or excuse me, Esau really, really, really enjoys this particular way of life that he has and so forth. And so he comes in from this one day, and what do we see happen? We see that he's so hungry that he says, I want some of that food that you've made. And in the process of that, he overlooks the fact that he was the firstborn. That's what he overlooks. And so he literally sells his birthright because what he's taking care of in his mind is a physical need right there in that moment you talk about a man without any vision you talk about a man without being to look forward to the promises of God you talk about a man who doesn't understand that there is a future in his life but instead would rather take care of the here and the now and the present his own desires the fact that he says he was famished he literally told I mean do we really think Esau is about to die from hunger here no Jacob's like hey I'll tell you what I'll give you some food if you give me your birthright and what does Esau say he says well what's a birthright if I'm going to die from hunger because he wanted food that's it right compare that with what Jesus says compare that with what Jesus says right when we look at like the Sermon on the Mount what does Jesus say Should we worry about our clothes? Should we worry about what we're going to eat? Should we worry about those things? No. Do the sparrows worry about that? Do the flowers worry about that? Of course not. That's what Jesus says. Right? So the point that Jesus is making is what? Think on him. Focus on him. Not the things of the earth. Not the things that are temporary. And here we have a guy in Esau who was all about the temporary it was all about the temporary short-sighted how else do we know it was short-sighted well I'll tell you how else we know he was short-sighted go ahead with me if you will and, and let's flip on over to uh, chapter 27 let's pick up the rest of this story in chapter 27 now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. And Isaac said, behold, now I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your, your, uh, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me as uh, such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Now I want to stop here for just a second because she repeats everything he says. I want to stop here for just a second. Do you know where Esau learned his short sightedness from? Probably his father. Okay, this is the guy who, go back a couple of chapters earlier or earlier, and, and you, you read about where he pretended that his wife was who? Y'all remember that story? His sister. And you talk about a big dummy for just a second. Okay? Tell the king that the wife is your sister. Tell the guy in charge the wife is your sister. And then, oh, but, but guess what? You can't control yourself in public. So what happens is, is you have a moment of PDA and guess what happens? They see it and so now guess what? <laughs> You're outed right I mean it's one thing to lie it's another thing to lie and be stupid about it y'all know what I mean right don't take that as advice I'm just saying right you know people like that don't you right that's his father not to mention the fact now his father's about to die and what does he do think about all the other guys before him like hmm I mean Abraham when Abraham's about to die what does it tell us he does What does it tell us Abraham does when he's about to die? He thinks to the promise that God had given him. Y'all remember that? Right, he thinks forward to the promise that God had given him. And so what does he do? It's when he's about to die that he says, oh, oh, man, God made me this promise. I I think I need to take care of a couple things. You know what I'm going to do? God, you promised me that I'm going to be a father of a great nation. So here's what I'm going to do, God. God, I'm going to trust that, and I'm going to send my servant to find a wife for my son, Isaac. That's what Abraham does. That's a little different than I'm about to die. I'd like to have my favorite meal prepared by my other son. You see what I'm saying? So God has promised, and here's the thing. God has promised up to this point, right, when Rebekah was pregnant, that this thing was going to kind of be flipped, right? So God had a plan. God had communicated that plan. And what does, uh, what does, what does Esau's father do? What does Isaac do? He's short-sighted just like Esau. Look! Look! Continue to read here. It says that Rebecca was listening, and so Isaac or Esau leaves, right? And so Rebecca goes to Jacob, says, "Behold, I hear your father speak to your brother Esau." And so she gives him this plan and says, basically, here's the deal: uh, you go prepare this meal, um, and uh, or actually, she said, you go get the uh, the goats, and then I'll prepare him the meal that he loves, and then you bring it to the, your father. And uh, and so uh, <laughs> Jacob's smart. He's like, "Hey, Esau's hairy." I mean, I know dad can't see, but like Esau's hairy. And so what does she do? She says, we got that covered as well. She says, what we do is, is, um, is that we'll take uh, ultimately um, the, the animals, uh, the goats, and, and we'll put it on uh, your, your, your arms, right? And we'll put it on your body so that when your father fills you to make sure that it's Esau, he'll go, oh yeah, this is Esau. This guy's hairy. This is the hairy son, Right? And so we go further on, and it says in verse 18, He came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your for- firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat him the game, and that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that it's done so quickly? So Isaac's not a, a complete fool. Isaac says, Wow, you, you, you killed that really fast, and then you cooked it really fast. It's amazing that you're back this quick. And then Jacob is completely a liar, Because Jacob says, hmm, what he says, go on down here, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Do you see that? Jacob literally gives God credit for a lie. That's exciting, isn't it? Right? Just keep that in the back of your mind. And so ultimately, Jacob comes, to, to, uh, Jacob comes close to Isaac, his father, and he f- fills him. And, and still, Isaac's like, something's not right here. Because he says, your voice sounds like Jacob, but your hands are the hands of Esau. And so then, ultimately, he eats, and he blesses Jacob. He blesses Jacob. Now, again, short-sightedness of Esau. What had been promised? Who was going to receive the blessing? Who? Who? Jacob, what had been promised, right? Remember, go back to, this, to what we read at the beginning of this. Okay, we go back and read it at the beginning of this. And what we find here is, is that ultimately what's taking place is, if we're all serious about it is, is that Isaac is working outside the will of God to try to do something that wasn't in God's will. Now, do we know if Isaac knew that, that Esau had sold the birthright to Jacob? We don't don't know that fully, right? I mean, that's a pretty big event to happen in a family for you not to know it, but we don't know that fully. But we do know that here's Isaac who is working outside the will of God. He's working outside the will of God to get a meal. And then when the meal is given to him, he's prepared to bless Esau, but instead, obviously, he blesses Jacob. Now, again, we go further, and here's the deal. Jacob's mom tricks uh, uh, Isaac again into sending Jacob away to find a wife. She does that in chapter 28 because she's concerned that Esau is going to kill Jacob. Right? Because Esau gets back. He freaks out in chapter 27. At the end of chapter 27. Chapter 28, what happens is, is, is uh, Isaac's mom, Rebecca, goes to Jacob and says, oh, excuse me, Jacob's mom, Rebekah, goes to Isaac and says, hey, you need to send your son away. You don't like any of the women around here. Kind of plays on his emotions a little bit, right? Plays on what he knew God wanted, right? Not to marry to the Canaanites. And so they send Jacob away. Now pick up in verse 6 of chapter 28. You talk about a man that's short-sighted again. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Aram to take to himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother, and had gone to Panam Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael. Y'all remember that guy? That was the son of who? Abraham and his maidservant, right? Who had been sent away, right? Besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebeth. Do you know what happens when Esau marries Ishmael's daughter? Anybody ever went back and traced the lineage of Muslims? Anybody? Anybody remember when it said at the beginning of the story that Esau would basically become, and his children would become the Edomites, right? Remember that? The nation of Israel has an enemy for the rest of history as a result of this man's short-sightedness because he literally is so, 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 so torn over the fact that he wants a blessing from his father that instead of going to his father and saying, hey, who should I marry, right? Instead of it being arranged, which was typical in that day, he goes out on his own trying to please his father and makes a stupid decision, marrying into the family of one who had already been sent off. When you live your life in the now, Without a vision for the future, you will get yourself in trouble. Over and over and over and over again. And Esau is an example of that. And if you question everything I just said, flip back to Hebrews and see what the writer of Hebrews says about Esau. So we see in this story this great danger of ultimately a man with no vision. The second thing we see in this story is that it warns us ultimately about a family with no direction. It warns us about a family with no direction. Isn't that the next one up there? Did I tell you all that right? Click. There we go. This family started off strong, didn't it? How does this family end? I'll tell you how this family ends. This family ends in deception. This family ends in lies. I read you chapter 27, a big chunk of it. I read you some of chapter 28. Uh, What you have is a wife who believed so much in what was taking place in her life that she was willing to leave her family and go to this man that she had never met. Who early on in the marriage, it seems as if she would stand by him no matter what. And yet now you see at the end of his life, she is willing to do anything to deceive and lie her husband. Because ultimately she had a favorite son. says at the beginning of the story, right? Esau was the father's favorite, right? Jacob was the mother's favorite. We're all kids. Anybody in here to somebody, right? We're children to somebody, right? Okay, any of you folks in here uh, ever felt that tension? Don't raise your hands. Don't tell on your parents right now, right? But any of you ever felt that tension like you felt like somebody was the favorite? You ever felt that? Right? I got four children. I got four children. I, I really don't have a favorite. But they still believe that I have a favorite. They all believe that Reese is the favorite because she's the baby. Right? They, they all believe that. Sometimes I do tell them if they behaved more like Reese that they would be the favorite as well. Joking with them, right? Um, But when you have children, the reality is this. Is that if you don't spend time and energy in what they're good at and enjoying what they're good at, right? If you don't spend some time and energy in investing in what they're good at and what they enjoy to do, they're going to walk away and guess what they're going to believe? That you have a favorite. I guarantee you, it was very clear to Isaac, or to Jacob, I should say. I'm I'm flipping them around backwards like crazy tonight. It's very clear to Jacob that Esau was Isaac's favorite. Don't you think that? The fact that he was willing to go in and trick his dad to get this blessing? And I guarantee you, it was very clear to Esau who his mom's favorite was. And what happens is, is that when mom and dad don't do the job that God has called them to do, listen, children are called to obey their parents, right? Isn't that what we're called to do? And we're called to respect our parents, right? And to honor our parents, are we not? But you have probably all been in some situation where you experience, either in your own family or in the family of another, a friend, whatever, cousin, etc., Where there was incredible dysfunction in that family. Because at some some point, father, mother don't do the job God's called them to do. And son, daughter begin to grow up. Right? And they sort of lose respect. Could we all agree that that's what we see happening in this family? It's a mess. It is a mess. The dad is about to die. And you got two sons bickering over who's going to get the blessing. Right? And you got the mom picking a favorite to make it happen. Through lies and deception. Now here's the big problem I see with this. What if Rebecca... Now we don't know how Isaac would have responded. We know that Isaac understood the promises, right? That God had given him. But what if, instead, Rebecca goes back... To Isaac and says hey Isaac you remember when I was pregnant you remember when I was having problems you remember when the Lord said two nations are in my womb two people will be separated from my body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger you remember that hmm I just wonder how he would respond now hold on a second before we go there because uh, is anybody studying Joseph right now Anybody Yeah if you're in a doll pack you that's particularly one of our doll packs that it's like the traditional ones you're studying Joseph Who was Joseph's father Who Chase just said Jacob Boy the apple don't fall far from the tree does it You talk about a dysfunctional family the cycle that we complain about all the time in our society today with folks having to, you know, that cycle of abuse, right, that you see, right, the cycle of poverty that you see, all these cycles that you, that you get to talk about in our world today when it comes to families, guess what? Huh. Isaac had a favorite. And guess what happens? Jacob has a favorite. And because of it, chaos happens within the family pretty big warning for us isn't it one day you may be a father one day you may be a mother I would encourage you to go back and read particularly the story of Isaac and the story of Jacob and the story of Joseph because there are some great warnings to us about listen God had a plan for salvation for his people and Jesus was going to come through that lineage and we know that But sometimes, we got to remember, it's easy to look back at the Old Testament and see God's will play out. It's a lot harder when you're living it in that moment. You see what I'm saying? Right? Does that make sense? It's a lot easier to look back and go, well, of course, that was God's plan. What I will tell you is this. Is that this is not a story where the end justifies the means. And if you think it is, that's a messed up theology. This is not a story where you're okay to say, well, it's all right because it was all part of God's plan. Because here's why. If you say it's all right, it was all part of God's plan, and what he was doing is, is he was just trying to prove a point to us, you're going down a really steep path here of, so what you're telling me is, is that God calls these individuals to lie and deceive to, cause a, to prove a point? That's absurd. Because God is just and God is holy. And God is pure and God is righteous. And God is good. Does that make sense? Their brokenness and their stupidity caused them to do the things they did. But God in his sovereignty still had a plan for Jesus to come. You got it? So don't lose sight of there's a family with no direction. Third thing that they, tonight is this. This is great because it speaks to us about forgiveness. Because it speaks to us about forgiveness. If you turn to chapter 33, what you find is that there is a moment in, in uh, Jacob's life where he runs back into Esau. We're not going to get all into that because we'll, we'll jump way too far ahead of what you're actually going to talk about in a couple of weeks. And check this out what you see is in verse 1 then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold Esau was coming And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front. And Leah and her children next. And Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came nearer to his brother. Now if you read before this, you find out that Jacob knows he's about to run into Esau and he's scared to death. So he sends some messengers ahead. And then even when he's going to go interact with him, he puts basically all his family behind him. He makes a wise decision, honestly, because he's not sure what he's about to face. And so he makes this wise decision. He goes in the front, and notice what happens when Esau sees him. Because at the end of the story, if you go back to chapter 27 and 28, what did Esau want to do to, I didn't read this, but you can go back and read it. What did Esau want to do to Jacob? He wanted to kill him. That's That's why his mom says it's time for you to get out of Dodge. That's why his mom goes and basically tricks Isaac into sending Jacob off to find a wife. And here he runs into Esau and notice what it says. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So somewhere between chapter 28 and chapter 33, there's a lot that's happened. Jacob Jacob gets married to Leah and Rachel. He has children, etc. He wrestles with God, right? And then he... Interacts with Esau. And what we see is a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. Which is restore us. Which is to reconcile us. Which is to forgive us. Now that gives me some hope and some promise. Right? See, because here's the deal. Think about this for just a second. Do you... Escape the temporary consequences of sin in your life. And what I mean by that is the consequences on this world for sin in your life. Do you? Do we? Not the ones in this world. You go sin, guess what you're going to do? Like, God's going to forgive you, but in many, many cases, it is the rare exception where you don't still have to face the consequences of your poor decision here on this world. Have you ever experienced that before? right? I mean, think about you with your parents, right? You lie, you do something dumb, right? My, my brother, he used to like to change his grades. It's the truth. So my brother, my brother went to uh, the same high school that I did his freshman and sophomore year. It was a private school. You had to have a certain GPA to stay there. My brother, his sophomore year in particular, realized he didn't like it. He said you had to study too much. Um, and uh, needless to say, Um, he ended up just basically not doing anything. uh, Ended up leaving there because he had like a 1.2 GPA after his sophomore year of high school. Um, He went to another private school on the other side of the river in Alabama, uh, and he actually ended up getting his GPA all the way up to where he graduated with Hope, which is insane. Um, I'll also tell you this. Sophomore year in high school, he took the PSAT, right? And so I went to school where I graduated with... Like five kids in my class that went to Ivy League schools. Like it was a big time college prep school, et cetera. And so like um, my brother is in this class. I think they had like three or four kids in his class if he'd have stayed there that would have graduated. They ended up graduating and going to like Ivy League schools as well. A bunch of really smart kids there. And so my brother goes and takes the PSAT. And you know on the PSAT, like, you get the equivalent of, like, the SAT score. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That dude scores a 1380. They thought he was lying. Like, they literally thought he was lying. Like, he got his scores back. He said it was the funniest thing in the world. They all got their scores back, and, you know, you got all these smart kids sitting in the classroom, and they're like, hey, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get? And he was like, uh, and didn't tell nobody. Dude scores over 1300. They're like, no, you didn't. Like, had to show them the piece of paper, right? I think he actually scored, I think 1380 was actually his SAT score. I think it was actually a little bit less than that, but it was, it was over 1300. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. My brother had this issue, though. He didn't like doing work, right? And so he would change his grades. That was back when you had the report cards sent home. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so he would change his grades he would get deficiency notices y'all remember deficiency notices none of y'all ever got deficiency notices you're at UGA right so you never experienced that it was like your son is failing right he needs to do something to fix it the Lord is my witness the man only passed biology because our biology teacher was the offensive line coach on the football team and loved me and so when my brother failed the class He called my brother and said, if you go buy gloves for lab, y'all know what I'm talking about, like the latex gloves for lab? He said, I will pass you. So I literally had to go take my brother to the store so he could buy gloves and take them to Coach Cole so that he could pass biology. And I'll never forget the day that my parents figured out that he had been changing grades and stuffing deficiency notices behind his bed it was a fun day in our house it really was but you know what hey my brother is still my brother and my parents didn't disown him praise Jesus but guess what they actually forgave him I think after a little while after he managed to somehow get hope a couple years later. But he still had to face the consequences. Does that make sense? Right? He still didn't get to go nowhere for a really long time. Right. He still got chewed out about as bad as I've ever heard anybody in my family get chewed out. Right? And I think at the time my parents thought one of the great consequences was him having to move schools. I think he saw that as a reward if I'm being honest. Right? Have you ever been there? Where you interact with your parents, you do something really stupid, they forgive you. They deal with it and then they forgive you. But you still have to face the consequences. Right? Let this be a great warning to us. That God has a plan. God has his perfect will. But when we act like morons, what happens is, is we still have to face the consequences. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Doesn't mean he doesn't forgive us. Doesn't mean his mercy doesn't cover that sin. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But what it does mean is this. Guess what? The Edomites and the Jews still hate each other to this day. Right? Guess what? There was complete dysfunction in this family. But there is promise because we see in chapter 33 that, man, they embraced and they wept. See, there are some of you here tonight that you've made some really poor decisions. And what you need to have with with, with God is sort of a Jacob and Esau moment. Where you just fall on your face before him, knowing that you've messed up, knowing that you've blown it knowing that you need complete reconciliation and restoration and you just need to trust him that he's going to wrap his arms around you and weep with you. Does that make sense? So man, there's a great warning in here. Don't be a man without a vision. Don't be a dysfunctional family without direction. But if you find yourself in a mess, understand that God's goal is reconciliation. It is forgiveness. And then finally, how do, how, do, how do we just reconcile all of this with what's going on? Well, the last thing that you need to remember is this. God is still in control. God is still in control. And there is a great promise in this story. Because as I said, if you just stop and you miss some of the other truths in it, you're being a little short-sighted in what we can see in this. But it does start and end with God had a plan for salvation and that was that his son Jesus would come to this world and die on a cross for you and for me so that if we put our faith and trust in him we could have eternal life and ultimately no matter how broken these guys in the Old Testament were no matter how messed up their family was no matter how much they lied right no matter how much they deceived what we see is that God still had a plan. And that is a great, great, great hope and peace and promise for me today. Because we live in a world where, boy, it looks a whole lot more like this family at the end of Isaac's life (laughs) than it does like the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca at the beginning. Don't we? It is broken. It is messed up. There is lying. There is deceiving all around us. But hear me and hear me clearly. If you are a child of God, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He still has a plan. And no matter how bad it may seem, one day He will return. And if you die before He returns, either way, you will go home to be with Him in heaven. And one day, this world and everything about it will be wiped away and completely restored to what God's ultimate plan is a new heaven and a new earth and I don't know about you but for me that's something that I can trust in the brokenness of this world so when we look at this story why is it important because ultimately once again in the stories of Genesis who does it point us to It points us to Jesus. And in this case, it doesn't point us to Jesus in some clean little nice story with a bow on it. It points us to Jesus in the midst of a man who had no vision and in the midst of a family that had no direction. Don't you want to know that, Jesus? Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.